Modern Rock for Cincinnati and Dayton, 97X, with some brand new Cure that we just took the cellophane off to play for you. Also caught some Dave Matthews Band, and you too started things off with Boy. This Sunday evening, it's the Mystery Six Pack. Be the first to guess the theme of the six pack and win yourself a six pack of CDs and cassettes. Another chance to win great music from 97X, the future of rock and roll. Dave, Dave. Yeah? No, mm-hmm. uh, I, I'm sorry. I hate to do this to you because you're so yeah. excited about giving away those cassettes, but um, 97X is no more. There's mm-hmm. no longer a station called 97X, the future of rock and roll in Oxford, Ohio, nor is it online at Woxie.com. But the thing is, we still have a place. It still lives on in our hearts, but we're just doing a podcast. You're in your palatial estate. I'm in my party dungeon. And we reminisce about those old times. The good news is, Dave, somehow, magically, you always seem to find somebody. You you send that message out into the ether, and then we are able to connect with somebody. We have somebody who actually predates 97X, and was there at the start of 97X when it became the future of rock and roll, Mr. Jay Batisto. Welcome, Jay. Hi, guys. Thanks very much for joining us, Jay. And uh, Mr. Doug Baylog, and I'm sure you, you know him quite well because you worked alongside him, uh, was the one that mentioned we should uh, try to track you down and talk to you. And, and then the more we, we read about you and you sent us some background information, it's like, wow, this dude was like at, at day zero at 97X. Tell us more about that. Well, um, first of all, I joined approximately six to eight months after Doug and Linda purchased the station. Um, If you know anything about radio in the late 70s and early 80s, before the FCC implemented the change to the rules, Docket 8090, which dropped in 3,500 new FM stations and made it possible for satellite radio and groups like Clear Channel, um, OXY was one of those small, little, uh, non-performing stations um, that was in the middle of nowhere, um, and it was the epitome of, you know, odd personnel and wacky programming, and if you ever watched that television show from the 70s, WKRP in Cincinnati, this was very much the staff that we were dealing with. We had a local newscaster and a weatherman and a sports director and a, and a, a hyperactive morning DJ and a cast of full and part-time DJs. And then we had that saleswoman who had a dress in a pattern that matched her purse and her shoes and blonde hair, about you know, enough to stuff a pillow. And she just was uh, this woman. Um, and in, at that time, uh, when, when I was hired, um, Doug and Linda had bought the station and Doug was making some very smart moves at that time. He, he hired a sports announcer and he set up a program called Friday morning quarterback show. I don't know if it was still working when you guys were online, um, but the Friday morning quarterback show, he got his friend from Chicago, Johnny Pont, who was a member of the cradle of coaches from Miami university to come and host the show. And Johnny would call his friends, Weave Eubank, Eric Parsegian, Woody Hayes. These are great guys who all graduated from Miami and went on to coach major football teams. And, of course, the sports announcer was right in the thick of it. And he and Doug were doing great things. They, they loved it. Uh, the sports director was a friend of mine from back in my Miami University days. And he recommended me for the job with Doug and Linda. At the time, when I joined the station, I was hired as the the chief engineer and a salesperson. 
And uh, one of the things that I noticed as soon as I got there was there were two different teams. There were the people that supported the Baylogs in their new move to take over the station, um, including my friend who had recommended me for the job. His, his on-air name was Mark Roberts. And uh, at the same time, the old station manager and some of the staff that they had, that they had inherited when they bought the station um, they had their own team and they looked very askance at Doug and Linda. Well, these are people from the television media business. They don't really understand radio. They're not radio people. Um, the, the leader of this group was a, was a guy who was the station manager at the time. And he was one of those typical radio personalities that you ran into in the 70s and 80s. They, they would move from market to market. And this guy actually would move from bank to bank around town and kite checks at, at every local bank until they all they all found out his mode of operation and he ran out of um, credit in the town and then he would move to the next city. He had a great on-air DJ presence and he was also very good at audio production um, and that's what he was good at. On the other hand, he had convinced Doug and Linda that he knew the college kids market um, he, we were at the time trying to program to Miami and Earlham College over in Richmond, Indiana. This guy knew rotation models, but he couldn't select a hit if it came out of the record and bit him on the fingers. Uh, the perfect example was when we got the new Billy Idol album in, he pulled it out and marked the first cut on the first side as the hit and put it into rotation. I took it and listened to it and said, no, White Wedding's the hit. You need to pay attention to this one. That was the third cut on it. And we changed that. And of course, that was the hit. Went right up the charts. He also didn't like The Who. Now, in 1982, in a college town, if you're supposed to be playing rock and roll, you can't just say, well, I don't like The Who. And, well, I don't like The Rolling Stones. He, one of his favorite songs was a novelty hit called Rubber Band Man from the late 70s. Remember that? And he put yeah. it into heavy rotation. It was coming up every night. <laughs> uh, of course, we weren't really programming to those college kids. They weren't really listening to us. At the end of the story, at the end of the story is the ego drove that guy away. His, he just... Um, he just couldn't, uh, he didn't like the idea that Doug was going to start calling the shots, which was the smartest thing for that radio station. When he left Doug and Linda's station, it gave us an opportunity to start a Monday night, three-hour program on modern rock, new music. And we hired a guy named Steve Stenken to run that program. And at the time, the previous station manager had told Doug and Linda that if you do a contest and you get six callers, that's because there's 600 people listening and, and really people don't pick up the phone. Well, Steve started doing the Modern Rock Show and the college kids at Miami fell into it. And suddenly we were getting 50 and 100 and 175 calls during the program. And I said to Doug, look, if you look at the the dial, and we dial down the, the dial. There's the big powerhouse rock in Dayton. There's another big powerhouse rock and roll station, classic rock, if you will, in Cincinnati. There were some pop stations, but there was nothing playing modern rock. And that's when I told him, we really need to switch over and hire this guy, Steve Stenken, to be our program manager. Let him run a DJ show. Steve did great on the air. And in the meantime, we got into modern rock. And of course, that changed the trajectory of the station. Now, when I moved into town, 
the first thing that happened was Doug and Linda had decided to move from a, a little dirty downtown Oxford uh, storefront office to a professional location down on Route 27. I think you guys would remember that location. Yes. The, the other thing I had to do was fix the transmitter, which had been, it was an old Gates model transmitter, Harris Gates, and had been uh, mistreated for many years. In fact, the old station manager used to tune it by turning off the power, taking a pencil with a rubber eraser, moving the plate with the pencil, and then turning it back on to see if he got more power out of the, out of the tube. <laughs> which is a bit crazy. Um, basically, we started repairing all that. And I began in earnest working for Doug and Linda. And, and I have to tell you, they were at a, at a crucial time in my life. I was 25. Um, they were excellent bosses for their own reasons. And I learned a lot from them. It was wonderful to work with them. First of all, you know, Linda she ran all the trafficking. She did the financing. She kept everything rolling. She collected the money. She was a major person in the town. Everyone recognized her, and she did a great job. And then there was Doug. Doug, of course, was a football fan and got the whole football thing started with uh, Friday morning quarterback and those programs. But he was also an amazing salesperson. And to this day, I still quote Doug Balog when I'm in meetings with, you know, my sales teams and I'm, I'm telling them things. I, I quote Doug because he was right about stuff. He taught us how to sell without ratings. Now, if you hearken back to those times, you, they had the rating book and the Nielsen's ratings came out. And most of the salespeople in radio uh, in the Cincinnati metro area. They would simply go to the agency or go to the company and they'd say, look, we're rated here and you need to pay $15 a spot for our spots and I'll do a deal of 40 of them. And Doug, Doug took a completely different approach. I was one of the critical points in my career was when he took me in to call on Pizza Hut and he let me sit in the room with him. And he sat down with him and said, captive audience, we got Miami University, we got Houston Woods. Here is a complete proposal, and we'll do a weekend broadcast at Houston Woods. There's a hundred to a, I'm sorry, a hundred and fifty thousand people that go to Houston Woods every summer. We have twenty thousand every weekend at that beach. We'll set up there. We'll give out Pizza Hut coupons. We'll direct them to your store in Oxford. There is nobody else who can deliver this audience, and we'll be live broadcasting there. Well, they ate it up. They gave it to us. And quite frankly, they fed my wife and I for an entire <laughs> summer because that's where we got all our free food. Hey, have a pizza, have a pizza, have a pizza. Back, back when the station got started, we didn't have a lot of money. So a lot of us took pay and trade, which was a great way to eat. Oh, yeah. And that, that continued even into Dave's time and my time at the station. Uh, real quick. Yeah. If Billy Idol ever comes to play Oxford and like their Wednesday uh, summer concert series, the song that would go nuts over there, the first cut, come on, come on. Come on, come on. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Just that, to let you know. Yeah. I do remember it. People, uh, people would go nuts in Oxford if they play that because OXY, OXR played the hell out of that. One of the things that I was really excited about while I lived in Oxford and worked at the station, we used to get tickets to the Miami University concerts. And um, in 84, I think it was, the guy, the young man who ran that concert board brought in the Stop Making Sense Tour by uh, Talking Heads. 
he brought in flock of seagulls and uh, the go-go's um so yeah they brought in the go-go's they brought in flock of seagulls they um but the 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 concert with uh the talking heads was the actual tour and they started off in oxford and they the stage was only one foot shorter than they actually needed and they were nice enough that they cut it down and and then and, you know we at the station we got third row center seats right in front of tina wow. it was it was amazing it was just wow. really good at that time because we were the only station playing modern rock we would get comp tickets to bands that that the the big powerhouse classic rock stations didn't know about so we we were invited to go to the police and to the romantics and to third world and a great concert um and that was all because the A&R people ate it up. Nobody was playing this music. If you, if you remember the early 80s, if you liked the British bands, the jam and the clash, if you liked television or talking heads, nobody was playing this music. Yeah. True. And um, it, when, when the station started playing it, people came out of the woodwork. And there was a huge... And, and then suddenly, in 85, I think, was the first year that WOXY hit the ratings books. And then from that point on, Doug and Linda's station took off and financially was able to really achieve the things that he he knew it could when he bought that little station that was underperforming. So I have a couple questions for you. How did you find Steve Stankin, you know, and, and identify him as the, the Monday night modern rock guy? Yeah, how did we do that? So Steve, that's a long time ago. Steve, Steve sent us a, a demo tape. And it turned out when when we when I joined the station, there was a, a local newscasting woman and she was hired by the old station manager and she moved on and we got a new a new woman uh, newscaster who was very good, very sharp lady. And she gave me Steve's tape and suggested that we talk to him. We needed a part time DJ and he came up and we started talking about music and what wasn't on the air. And I said, hey, would would you think about hosting a, a show and he you know he knew who rem was and gang of four and he could actually talk about the music and and he said yes he'd come in and so we started him on a i think a three-hour program and then we made him a full-time gga and made him the program director yeah and and so then it, it went from monday night kind of started to it, it was never flip a switch and we went from more classic rock and the who to, you know, we're going to play R.E.M. and Talking Heads. It was more like you started to add more and more of that into the regular mix from what I understand. That's correct. Probably the first six months, we spent a lot of time adding into the mix. We, um, we, we were trying different things, but obviously because we announced we would play The Cure, suddenly we got records that no one else was getting and lots of giveaways and lots of things from the A&R uh, guys. And that was really helping the station um in i think it was 85 when um when the uh, the rain man movie was being made and mm -hmm. um this they wanted to have a station play on the radio um and uh the the the, the crew said well the one we're all listening to is this one up in oxford ohio uh, 97x and that was the that was one of the big events in 85 when when they um you know, announced it in the radio and said the future of rock and roll. And then, uh, you know, the characters repeated it. And it was like free publicity. Um, 
prior to that, we, we started off adding the music, uh, but ultimately we, we flipped the switch. Um, Steve and I were working on Doug and he, he wasn't sure, but we were telling him that, look, there's nobody else on the dial. There's nothing like this. We're going to get, and we cover college kids. UC could hear us. Um, University of Dayton could hear us. Um, Earlham College could hear us. Once we fixed that transmitter, we could get out because we were on the highest point in the county, uh, the highest uh, elevation in the county, and our signal went really well over the, uh, over the tri-state area. So it wasn't bad. Now, tell us a little bit more about that. Where was that located? So originally, when, when we got there, the station was connected by a telephone line to about five miles south on Route 27 going down to Cincinnati where there was a, um, there was a, a hump of land, but at the top there was like a, a little divot. And so that land would actually get damp in the spring and in the fall. And um, there was, we had a, ra- a shack and, a, and a, I think it was a 2,000-foot antenna. Our FM antenna was on the top of the stick. And um, we had a, a, an old transmitter in there. There were a lot of funny things about that place. Uh, when I got there, that transmitter had been uh, misaligned and uh, and had no preventative maintenance. And um, basically, the first six months or so, I babysat it to keep it alive. And then when we started making some money, Doug and Linda freed up some cash, and we actually bought the parts from Harris Corporation to repair the system and bought new tubes and got it uh, working better. And then we had this adventure with a, a tower company that came by and told us, well, well, we'll check your antennas and make sure everything's okay. And they, regrettably, they climbed up the tower and they loosened the connections and water got in because they thought, oh, we'll just break it and then we'll have to buy a new one from us. So water got in the line and burned out a, par- burned out a tube, which they're not cheap. Um, well, I climbed the tower with another local guy. We put, screwed it all back in tight and blew the water out, got it all working again. But then we had to fix the, the, um, the tubes and, and rebuild the transmitter, get it all back on the air. And that was not fun. But those people were out there, you know. And, and then and then uh, it's been tweaked, and then you guys worked on it, got, you know, and, and got it going, and then you had a bigger, I guess, umbrella, so more people could start tuning into the modern rock. So, so once um, once the station got financially on its feet, Doug actually went out and bought a brand new transmitter and and put a a good transmitter in there and uh, a much better. Uh, it had a good grounding system, but it needed to all be upgraded. It was. Uh, the whole antenna and the original system was probably 30 years old when I got there. So that's not true. It's an FM. So let me think about that. It was, it was probably 12 to 15 years old. Look okay. at you okay. dropping some FM knowledge on us. I love yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking about what FM stations. That So I think WOXY, and we'd have to check with the, with the records, but I think it was started as... Um, as an FM trial by the college, by um, the WMUB staff at, at Miami University. And uh, it was set up and run for a while, and then it was made a commercial license and made available. Uh, it was a country station for a while. It was, um, and when I got there, the, the format wasn't really rock. It was kind of a pop mix. And that concludes part one of our conversation with Jay Batista. 
as we go back to the future and find out even more stories about the origins of 97X. 97X. Music. I suppose, yes. <laughs> the pop DJs stood at attention and the people just fed off of it. Yummy. Can I have some more slop? From, from the big bush.